Customers and salespeople are always wrong in what feature they want. They're almost always right about the problem they're trying to solve. There you go. Well said. And product managers fall into this trap too. They're like, you know, I have a longstanding argument with some of my, my colleagues over how far into solutioning should product managers go. And I'm really stringent about it. I'm like, as soon as you suggest a feature, then that's the feature you're going to get. But what if you're wrong? Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join me again. I hope you're, you're all doing great out there. You know, one of my earliest guests was Steve Johnson, and I just recently replayed the episode we did. We called it the process of product management. And just like the first time we did it, I think it was a couple of years ago, was well, well received. And so I asked Steve if he'd come back and kind of have a chat with us and say, just talk about what's new in his world. So if you don't know Steve, he's an author, a speaker, a coach on, you name it. If the word is product in there, he's probably involved in it. Product strategy, product management, product marketing, product growth. But what I really like about Steve is, is his, what he what he has on his LinkedIn page. He says, I help teams overcome the chaos and managing products. And I think we can all relate to that. Steve, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. How are you today? Well, I'm fine. Running a little bit with your, your comment about my LinkedIn. I mean... That's what I'm encountering is chaos. You know, it's one person went to a seminar and one person learned product management from a buddy of his and somebody else downloaded a playlist on YouTube. And it seems like we all, we frequently get together to talk about a trade show or an event or a kickoff, but we never get together to talk about how do, what are the best practices of product management or how do we do product management here? And it's true for launch and growth as well. And when you're in like a launch project, everything is so urgent. And, you know, that is not the time to say, well, is this really the right process we should be going through? Yeah. You know, uh -huh. so we don't really take the time to be introspective about the way we do our work. And as a result, it's chaotic. Yeah. And you really don't even want to go into Reddit and look at product management because, man, <laughs> there's a sad group of people complaining on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. I hear that and I experience it as well. We all get so busy. We forget the the tenets of, of product management, the things that, that you're supposed to do because we're fighting fires, right? But it does feel to a degree a lot more people are talking about product management. It's it's maturing. It's coming along. There's more people thinking about it. There are university courses about it. So we're evolving, I think. But it's still total chaos. I agree. Right. Well, and it seems like, I don't know, it must have shown up on, on some college placement assistant thing. I mean, when I was in college, we didn't know about any of the jobs that existed in product management, right? right. Well, in, in, in a software company or whatever. I majored in marketing and minored in computer science, and that made me unemployable. You know, I could either do marketing or I could do computers. And, and so I went into 
computer programming job at General Dynamics in Fort Worth, Texas. And 18 months in, my boss calls me in and he said, hey, I want you to interview with a buddy of mine. And I'm like, wait, you saying my work is, is bad? And he's like, oh, no, no, your work is fine. But I think you'd really enjoy being a sales engineer. Well, what the heck is that? No, you know, nobody in college told me about that job, right? So became a sales engineer. And, you know, you've got to just admire my first boss, seeing my potential and saying, you don't want to be here. You want to be there. And so he sent me over to interview for this job and I got the job and I did it for a while. And then I moved into sales and I became the top sales rep on my product. And my boss asked me to train, the VP of sales asked me to train all the sales guys in whatever it is I was doing with my product. And I ran into the VP of marketing who said, you know, who are you and what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm just a sales guy doing sales training. And he's like, that's the product manager's job. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, A, why isn't he doing that? And B, tell me more. And even, you know, in those days, it was like, no, nobody, like, even then, a lot of people had product managers, but it was not clear to hardly anybody what the scope was. And in those days, it was really much more a business role. And yet I went, oh, wait, I did take some brand management back in college. You know, maybe that's the equivalency. But most of what I learned was the school of hard knocks. Yeah. What's the difference between, in your mind, between brand management and product management? Well, I've always equated the two. Yeah. I think so. The idea back in the day, 19, what was it, 31 with whoever that was, Procter & Gamble created this brand manager thing, which said, you know, we're, we can't run the whole company this way. We've got to have somebody focused on the business and the marketing of individual brands. And that evolved into product management. But this was, you know, truly funny back on Reddit. Somebody said, you know, there's this new position that's just came out called product manager. And I'm like, dude, I've been doing this since the 80s. You know, it's not a new thing, but it's, you know, if, if you haven't heard of it, it's new to you. <laughs> and so what I see so much of is people are just guessing. They're like, well, I'm the product manager. And there's really kind of two kinds. There's the, the, the servant and the God product manager. The, 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 the God product manager comes in and says, somebody told me I was the CEO of the product. So I'm here to tell everyone what to do. Your ideas are not welcome. Thou shalt do exactly what I say. And then there's the servant model of, which was kind of what I got into. I mean, I was a coming out of sales, right? So I wasn't really savvy on the language of talking to development, but I went into my developers and I said, you know, hey, I really want to do well here. Um, how can I contribute? You know, what do you need from me? And I was terrified they were going to say, you know, specifications and designs. And they said, we want to hear about the business. You know, what markets are you going after? What new features do we need to address that market? What promotions are we doing? Oh, and more than that, tell me about some recent wins and some recent losses. And they they so cared about their product's success in the marketplace. And I went, oh, I know, I know how to do all of those things, right? And yet in many organizations, and I think a lot of product managers who were doing like central IT kind of projects, they're like, well, Developers ask me for a design, so I guess I need to do that. 
or developers asked me for a specification. So I guess I had to do that. And if you don't know what your job is and you tend to say, well, who needs help? You, you just hit on something so important. Talk to so many engineering shops myself, you know, people like acquaintances, friends, you know, you network around, you meet other people. And there is still a huge lack of understanding by the software engineers as to the business, like you said. Mm -hmm. And they love it. They love it when you talk to them about the business. They do. And not only that, there's a huge absence of business thinking in the product managers as well. Yeah. I'm working with a team right now where they are looking at all of these feature requests from myriad sources and their boss is correctly saying, what will that do to the business of the product? Will it help us win new customers? Will it help us expand the usage of our product within our customers? Will it help us win customers from our competitors? And oh, by the way, how will you measure that? So we added this one thing. Okay. Did we put any instrumentation in there to see that it's going, that it's actually being used? Pendo did a report a couple of months ago, said 80% of functionality is rarely or never used. Isn't that amazing? I saw that. Talk about waste, yes. right? Yes. And yet if all you're doing is saying, well, let me go down the feature request list and find some things that look cute to me, a development, build these cute things. You're like, okay, to what end? I mean, yeah. how will this benefit the business? And then you get the, you get the, well, the one salesperson who says, we sell, if you put this in, you know, I can bring in the big deal. And then it's used once and never used again, right? And even in those big deals, right. I found that a lot of times it wasn't that important, right? The customer bought the software because you put the feature in and did they really use it or how long did they use it? Or did they buy it because of that feature request? Or did we go through one of those telephone games where the client says, you know, it'd be really nice if you had, you know, X, Y, Z. And the sales guy said, okay, it's a deal breaker. Yeah. And the client's like, oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah. Which is why product managers in those circumstances need to hear it from the horse's mouth, you know, not, Absolutely. not what development said. And the thing that's amazing, you can always tell, really. Customers and salespeople are always wrong in what feature they want. They're almost always right about the problem they're trying to solve. There you go. Well said. And product managers fall into this trap too. They're like, you know, I have a longstanding argument with some of my, my colleagues over how far into solutioning should product managers go. And I'm really stringent about it. I'm like, as soon as you suggest a feature, then that's the feature you're going to get. But what if you're wrong? One of my stories, and who knows, I may have told you this story before, is the snow shovel. 150 years ago, somebody said, you know what? I really need a big shovel for snow. And that's what they gave. Here, here's a snow shovel. And every year in America, 100 people die shoveling snow because shoveling is the wrong implementation. What you want to do is not pick up the snow, but push the snow. You need a snow plow or a snow blower, not a snow shovel. But as soon as you say, well, I was thinking of like a big shovel. And then the UI people say, oh, well, we ought to put a little curve in the handle so it doesn't <laughs> hurt your back so badly. Yeah. And somebody should have said, wait, 
what problem are we trying to solve again? And the real problem is I'm just trying to get out of my driveway. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So, Steve, what are you seeing changing, you know, since the last time we were kind of talking? And I'm sure a lot has moved. What's the, you know, we talked about the chaos and the importance of the chaos, but from a, from, from product management and, and you mentioned, you know, some of the newer things, but, you know, what, what are teams struggling with now? Well, you know, I never think that the industry changes nearly as fast as everybody else seems to think. Mm -hmm. I remember when Agile was a big thing, you know, the Agile Manifesto. And you're like, dude, yeah, that was like 20 years ago. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't happen just yesterday. It's just that there are still some people who are finding out about it for the first time. And, you know, if you've if you've never heard of it, it's new to you. Right. So I think a lot of times some of the the change that we're hearing is not as changing as perhaps you think. I'd say the big thing that's changed is everyone's infatuation with chat GPT and other generative AI. And I was talking about this just yesterday. A lot of people are going, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the solution to all problems. You know, there are other people who are like, is this going to cost me my job? And the short answer is no, no, it will not cost you your job if you're, if you're actually adding value in your job. I mean, taking an epic and turning it into user stories, that is a secretarial role. That is right. I mean, forgive the bluntness of that. And generative AI is going to be able to do that. I mean, I can do that now in ProdPad. You know, here's my Epic. You right click on it and say, generate some user stories for me. It's all taken care of. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I still, I very much feel that generative AI is, is largely good in that it can access so much information and digest it so quickly that kind of reveals how unsatisfied we've been all this time with search. And, yeah. you know, there are all sorts of eth ethical things to worry about as well. I mean, you know, where's it's getting the data and, you know, did, did my article end up, you know, out there, but it seems like everybody's kind of freaking out about generative AI. And I think it, there's, there's so much good to it. And yet we also, as with any new technology, we have to anticipate <sighs> It's negative effects, right? I mean, when social media came along, I don't think anybody thought, you know, hey, this is a great way to spread hate, right? But it sure seems to have been, you know, psychologically damaging to a lot of people. So, but I'd say generative AI is really big. And yet, one, say, one thing about its current state is think of it more as an intern. Absolutely. Which means you have to check its work. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. It is an intern because it's an assistant. That's what I, yeah. I, I never thought. I have said the same exact thing, Steve. I look at it as a college intern, right? Now you have somebody you could ask to go do a few things. Somebody who probably doesn't know a lot about your business. Does, you know, college interns come in and, and you want to get them productive, but they don't know a lot about your company, but they can go out and do some work. Right. And get some research. And then, as you said, now you have to look at it. You have to check it. You have to also see if, well, okay, that's nice, but that's not our strategy. Right. Doesn't fit our strategy. It doesn't enable our business transformation or wherever we're going. Right. 
So yeah, I, I totally agree. It's an assistant, helps you be more productive, but it's not going to take away those real important things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really, it's really good for pattern matching of, of some kind. Like if somebody asked you, Paul, what bands should I be listening to? Well, you would just name off the three or four bands that you know and like. And if you asked me, you know, I'd say there, there's been very little good music since 1980. <laughs> right. I'm a classic rock guy, but somebody posed a question the other day of, I can't remember what it was. He was like, I really like this band. What are some other bands I should be listening mm. to? And I went into chat GPT and I said, here's a guy who likes these albums. And it gave me a list of 10 bands he ought to be listening to. And I posted it into wherever. And all these people said, oh, what a really good list that is. <laughs> and I didn't recognize most of the bands on it, you know, and I had a similar case. Somebody asked me, you know, I want to expand my daughter's reading. She's reading just what her friends are reading, but you know, I don't know what to recommend. And I said, well, you know, what are some of the books that she likes that you also like? And I typed it all into chat GPT and boom, here's a long list of books that are similar to the one called out. It's really good at that. But yeah, in the end, computers have always been assistants in some form, right? I, some of the things we're doing that right now with data science is really incredible. Generative AI is incredible. And yet it still needs guidance of your human judgment. That's so well said, Steve. I mean, otherwise it would be exactly where we are with backlog management. You know, you're just like, well, yeah, I'll just start at the A's and I'll build everything on the list and it'll take us 150 years to reach the bottom of the list. But you know, you're not adding any value there. So that's not a plausible way to manage your backlog. You know, one of the ways just to real quick on chat GPT and then move on to something else, but we use it. It's interesting to help companies if, if they're going to form some kind of, let's say, ideation campaign, let's say they want to get into open innovation. Okay. How do I, you know, how would I approach open innovation? So you could almost use, use it to say, what campaigns would make sense to around open innovation? And then it might, you know, come up with three or four. You know, say, oh, that's the one. And then you and you say, okay, well, give me some ideas, some starter ideas. And it can come up with three or four. And that just stimulates a community of people. It's like those aren't the ideas you're just going to drop into your product. But that gets people now when they start talking about what things they might do, what features they might create or what products they might create. It kind of gives them, gets them going. It's a Kickstarter. And I found it really valuable. We find it valuable for that. I think that's very good use of it. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's sparking your human judgment and, and your, I don't know, even the creative aspect of it. And yet, you know, on the other hand, the other day, not yet. In addition, uh, the other day I was, I wanted to create a persona document as an example for my class, right? I have various classes and one of the topics we talk about is personas. And so I went into ChatGPT and said, create me a persona for this kind of a buyer and this kind of an organization who uses this kind of a product. And it's like, all right, here's Emily and, you know, all sorts of stuff about Emily, which I then pasted into Word. And then I went through and I went, yeah, that's not really right or whatever, yeah. based on, you know, my understanding of the persona as well. So it's it's a, a good way of getting a topic started. 
Yeah, exactly. I like that. Started, sparking. Those were all great words you used. Steve. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, if we if we drop back to one of the things we were sort of dancing on a little bit in the beginning, but the your view on the project versus product. Let's explore that a bit. What are you seeing? Well, that's part of the chaos, isn't it? It is. One of the first product camps that I went to, the MC said, well, we're all here because we love project management. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm like, hang on, that is not a good way to start off this meeting. Yeah. Right. And I called him out on it and everything. It was really embarrassing to him. But those words are so close. Yes. People get them confused, I guess. But I am seeing a lot of companies that are shifting from project to product. And here's why. A project ends. A project, a product doesn't. Right? If you think of a product through its life cycle, it goes through 20 or 40 or 80 projects. It's like every sprint is a project or every release is a project. And so what happens in project management, I'm not even saying this is a bad thing, but when we treat some sort of technology as a project, then you're like, you know what? I'm going to use, here's what I did. I'm going to use Wix for my website because I think Wix is really cool. And that's what what I use. So I'm going to hire somebody to build me a website. So I hire the person, they build my website, and then they say, the project is done, see you later. Well, a website is a living thing. You wanna change the homepage, you wanna change whatever, right? I mean, a website is forever. And if there's nobody who knows how to manage the website after the designer goes away, then we're really screwed, right? I mean, it's not like you're building a bridge, but even a bridge as a project, right? We bring a bunch of people together. We span the water or whatever it is you do with bridge. And then we send all the people home. But then we actually realize that even a bridge is a product because it has to be maintained. And I'm told that the Golden Gate Bridge is constantly being painted. I think project work is an awful lot like feature factory or the the factory mindset that the people who are doing the work don't have to understand what we do. And I think that is a huge flaw. The idea that a product manager can write a specification and then give it to a random developer, whoever happens to be available, and maybe they're in an outsourcing firm and say, go build me this thing. There's no reason for you to use your judgment is flawed. So as I maintain this website, right, I find myself going, well, actually, I think I should make that word bold. And, you know, I should move this graphic over here because, you know, I'm guessing, I suppose, I mean, I really probably should. Well, I do have a web designer and she's really, really good. But nonetheless, you have to have somebody at the keyboard who understands the context or else you'll you'll never be happy with the result. The more context we can share. And so back to your original question, projects end, which means the team dissolves. And then all of a sudden there are all these enhancer requests. 
and we hire, we get a whole bunch of new factory workers to come in and deal new with teams. these enhancement requests, exactly. new teams with no context. And the onboarding is a nightmare. And the difference with a product is typically the team stays together. And one of my favorite maxims is friends build products, enemies build documents. <laughs> you go. I like it. So if we don't have a friend that we can say, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this in some way. Can you give me some advice? Right. If it's all process and documents, then it's just like, let me write a 17 page requirements document. And the equivalency for me is like your will, your last will and testament. You know, if 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 you were if you didn't have a will and you were on the side of the road in a wreck and you knew you were pretty sure you were going to die. The, the thing you do is you grab a napkin and you write, my wife gets it all. There you go. <laughs> that is a legal will. You've expressed to a judge exactly what you need to happen. Now, I don't, I'm not in a rack, right? So now I take my, my cocktail napkin and I go over to a lawyer and say, I want a will that says my, my spouse gets it all. And he goes, great. Come back in about 18 pages. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> what a great example. Well, you know, when you talk about the projects too, I often think of, you know, you've got the launch project. You're going to get that mm -hmm. product out there. And that, you know, needs to be, that's just another example of a project. You've got the mm -hmm. campaigns you do, right? Maybe you put a product out, but it, you're going to slightly change it or take it in a different direction or, you know, all the campaigns you do, those are all projects. I mean, so you're right. The product lives on and these projects, whether they be engineering projects or marketing projects or right, they all continue to come and go. Absolutely right. And again, the more we have a product manager or a product marketing manager, ah guiding the campaigns and the launch and, and guiding is maybe the wrong word, but providing the context. But if, if your launch team comes together once and then is immediately dissolved, then we didn't really learn much from the launch that we can use on the next one. Right? So where's the continuity? And, and then, you know, guess what? Then a third title comes along program management or product ops, where we say, you know, what we try to do is not police, but to capture experience and turn it into institutional knowledge. You know, that we, you know, my big belief is that every company is unique. And works for that company doesn't work for your company. And it's so frustrating when you read almost any business book. You know, I read one the other day. And as far as I could tell, this guy had only worked in one other company. And he said, you know, in my company, we did this. Let me explain it to you. And you're like, well, one isn't really a very big sample size. <laughs> right. And, you know, what works at Spotify or what works at Airbnb or what works at Apple may not work at my company. That's right. Even because you're, you know, hopefully your company's strategy is different. You would think different strategy, different products, different people, different methodologies. Sure. Correct. Correct. And even different culture, right? So, so some things work well in one culture and they can't work because the culture doesn't exist. Yep. Indeed. Well, Steve, it's been a super fun conversation. Now, 
what advice would you give to, let's say somebody said, I want to, I heard about this product manager. I want to be a product manager. What would you say? Where would you start? Well, that is a tricky question. Um, I read something the other day. A person asked me, should I go into design, development, or product management? There you go. Good question. And I'm like, that's that's kind of like saying, should I learn to play piano? Should I play football? Or should I join the marching band? I mean, all of those decisions are inspired by you find interesting and what you're capable of doing, right? It's not like one could just choose to say, oh, well, today I'll be a designer, tomorrow I'll be a developer. I think that product managers need to be, need to love the customer's problem and be open to the idea that other people can give better advice on what the solution would be. I think that developers are inherently problem solvers. And if, if, you know, if you want a job where people just tell you what to do, you know, you're going to have to become generative AI, I think, you know, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because good developers, you know, are again, problem solvers. And, you know, if, if you think you lean towards design, that requires a whole different set of skills many of which I do not have. You know, I can do discovery research, you know, understanding user experience and and user journey, but I don't know that I have the the creative eye to design something that is, is both usable as well as viable. So if you like running the business of the product, then I think you'll like product management. If you want to be a solution person, you should think about design and development. That's great. I, I'm not a designer. I would be a lousy, but boy, do I love good design. I, I admire good designers, right? <laughs> so. Right. And I made that point in an article recently. It's like design is a skill I don't have, but I do see it. You know, it's brilliant. And, and I, I see it everywhere I go. It's like, why did they give me five options when all I really needed was one option? Yeah, that's the best. That's the best when you see one of those. Yeah. And I found it interesting, Steve, you mentioned you're thinking your consulting offerings as products. That's twice now in a week. I heard somebody tell me that. Is that, is that new thinking? Do you think, or because it's, it's interesting now that twice in a week, somebody said almost the exact same words of how important that is. Well, if it's new to you, then it's new to you, right? Yeah, but there you go. I love it. I've thought that way all, all along, really. The reason is, here's what happens in a lot of projects like services. Right. Right. You say, oh, yeah, we could totally do that. In your head, you're like, this feels like about three days of work. And then there's a report at the end. I think that's about 40 hours. And I want to make this amount of money, you know, whatever. And you, you, you come up with a price on the fly without really knowing what you're talking about. A product, we decide the price in advance. So when the client says, I think I would like me that product, you're like, oh, and here's the price, right? I'm ready to go. And what happened 
not too long ago, a client said, oh, great. Can you send me a brochure? And I read the other day that salespeople spend 25 to 40 percent of their time creating their own marketing materials. And my guess is many of them are doing what I just said. I sold something that we don't have. The client said, I'd like to see a price sheet and a brochure, please. And they're yeah. like, oh, shoot. And then the sales guy overcommits too and says, let me see if I can get you something by the end of the day. Now, the client did not say that, right? It's a holiday weekend. It's five o'clock already. I mean, right. What are you doing, right? You're overcommitting from the beginning. But nonetheless, uh, when I've had customers ask for special things, I'll say, well, you know, that's a special thing. I think I can do it. I'm going to need some time to think about what that looks like. But then actually, in most cases, I say, all right, well, that's just a new SKU now on my price list. So a product has a price and it has a brochure and it has a positioning document and it has product canvas. Yeah. So there you go. So now that's the product thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And let me do one more. When I, uh, years ago, I worked with a company here in Virginia. The head of product management was asked to head services and she got over there and she immediately did the same thing you and I are doing. It's like, all right, well, how do we make this repeatable? And the services people went insane. They're like, you can't make this repeatable. Yeah. We, we just, you know, we, we're brilliant and we go in and we just do things and we can, you just tell us what it is and we'll rough out the number of hours. And she started looking and realizing that, you know, the forecasted hours and the delivered hours were markedly different. Yeah. And we Tough weren't business. nearly making the margins that we thought we were making. And then she and I did some look, looking at what was actually delivered and realized like 80% of what they were delivering was installation and onboarding. The only difference in any of those things was how many, how many users are we talking about? There was, you know, maybe five different business systems they interfaced with. And the services guys were doing those on the fly every time. And we're like, we can package this. And like the guys who, the guys who come to your house to do, you know, set up your network or set up your inner, your internet or set up your cable. If we still have that or your satellite, whatever they come with kits. Yeah. It's all packaged. Right. They don't say, Hmm, I think I'm going to need to get 122 feet of wiring. Let me go over to Lowe's and get that. I mean, they, they've packaged their services. Yeah. Yeah. It's well said. Everything's a product. If you sell it, it's a product and it should be treated that way. Very well said. It's a great, great way to sum it up. Steve, we talked about a lot of things. Did we miss something? And I'd hate to, I'd hate to, you know, end our chat. And then you say, well, Paul, we should have talked about X. So just spend a, <laughs> spend a minute, just spend, you know, 20 seconds and think if we, I hope we didn't miss anything, but we covered some great ground. Well, let me just, I guess, repeat that I love product management. You know, it is such an exciting job because it, it works with everybody. I mean, we work with finance and we work with sales, with marketing, we work with development and engineering and services and, and professional services. And it's a huge tendency towards chaos to say, I'm here to help. 
you started a new job and, and, and you're onboarded and somebody from HR sends out an email saying, hey, good news. Steve has joined as our product manager. If you need anything, just reach out to him, you know, and three days later, you've got 10,000 emails and 400 <laughs> meetings, right? Right. Because yeah. there are all these people like, oh, hallelujah, you know, somebody <laughs> who will take this, this work off my plate. Yeah. So I think it's really important for leadership or at least the head of product to be really clear on what contribution the product managers make. And my partner and I believe that it's strategic contribution rather than the administrative of backlog grooming and rewriting user stories. That was a great summary of, of some of the things we talked about and some of the things we didn't talk about. So thanks for sharing that, Steve. I really appreciate you joining us. So if people want to kind of connect with you and, and follow you and what's the best way, where are you active? How do they get in contact with you? If they want to hire you, how do they do that? Indeed. Well, I think the easiest way is to go to productgrowthleaders.com. You've got a profile of me and all my partners there. I'm also very active on LinkedIn, less so these days on the product formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. So productgrowthleaders.com. Good. We'll make sure we put it in the show notes too, in case somebody's driving and what was that again? Just look at your show notes. It'll be there. <laughs> Good deal. Thanks for joining. Really fun. Let's keep in touch and, you know, have a great day. Uh, great rest of the year as you as you start to you know kind of re-engage after the summer holidays with everybody and just wish you all the best steve thank you very much every day is a holiday for me i love doing what i do isn't that fantastic every day is a holiday everything's a product there's a couple big takeaways out there if you <laughs> buy it it's a product <laughs> here you go all right always a pleasure paul thanks steve i hope you enjoyed that that was really fun isn't steve a great guy do check him out Follow the links, especially on, I, I track him on LinkedIn. He's always posting great articles, great, great stuff. And the conversation, the comments are always fun to read too. So take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.